Welcome to the podcast for the Northwest Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Atlanta. Our minister is the Reverend Terry Davis, and each week we'll record audio of the sermon and reflections from members of the congregation from the pulpit at our home in the woods. Thank you for joining us. You can visit us in person at 1025 Mount Vernon Highway Northwest in Sandy Springs or on the web at nwuuc.org. August 14th, 2016. Today's sermon is Cherish Water, Cherish Life by the Reverend Terry Davis. Neil Steffen reads from A Reflection of Fresh Water by Barbara Kingsolver. Our reading this morning is an excerpt from A Reflection of Fresh Water by Barbara Kingsolver. We keep an eye out for wonders, my daughter and I every morning as we walk down our farm lane to meet the school bus. And whenever we find them, they reflect the magic of the water. A spider web drooping with dew like a rhinestone necklace. A rain-colored heron rising from the creek bank. One astonishing morning, we had a visitation of frogs. Dozens of them hurtled up from the grass ahead of our feet, launching themselves, white-bellied in bouncing arcs, as if if we'd been caught in a downpour of amphibians. It seemed to make the dawning of some new aqueous age. On another day, we met a snapping turtle in his primordial olive drab armor. Normally, this is a pond-locked creature, but some murky ambition had moved him onto a gravel lane. Using the the rainy week as a passport from our farm to somewhere else. Before we came to Southern Appalachia, we lived for years in Arizona. In the Grand Canyon State, every license plate reminded us that the water changes the face of the land, splitting open rock desert like a peach, leaving mile-deep gashes of infinite hue. Cities there function like space stations, importing every ounce of fresh water from distant rivers or fossil aquifers. But such is the human inclination to take water as a birthright, that public fountains still may bubble in Arizona town squares, and farmers raise their thirsty crops. Retirees from rainier climates irrigate green lawns that impersonate the grasslands they left behind. Water is life. It's the brine broth of our origins, pounding circulatory system of the world, a precious molecular edge on which we survive. It makes up two-thirds of our bodies, just, as it may, just like the map of the world. Our vital fluids are saline, like the ocean. Even when we take Mother Earth for granted, humans understand in our bones that she is boss. We stake our civilizations on the coasts and mighty rivers. Our deepest dread is the threat of having too little moisture, or too much. We've lately raised the Earth's average temperature by 1.3 degrees Fahrenheit, a number that sounds inconsequential. But these words do not. Flood, drought, hurricane, rising sea levels, bursting levees. Water is a visible face of a climate and therefore climate change. The snapping turtle I met on my lane may have been looking for higher ground. Last summer brought us a string of floods that left tomato blight on the vine 
and our farmers needing disaster relief for a third consecutive year. A world away from my damp hollow, the Baja Puria Valley, that stretches from northwest Peru into southern Ecuador, is a great bowl of the driest sands I've ever gotten in my shoes. Between January and March, it might get close to an inch of rain, depending on the whims of El Nino. But in some years, nothing at all. Since childhood, I've heard it's possible to look up from the bottom of a well and see stars, even in the daylight. Aristotle wrote about this, and so did Charles Dickens. On many a dark night, the vision of the round slip of sky with stars has comforted me. Here's the one problem. It's not true. Western civilization was in no hurry to give up this folklore. Astronomers believed it for centuries, but few of them, but a few of them eventually through it, thought to test it and had their illusions dashed by simple observation. Civilization has been similarly slow to give up on our myth of the Earth's infinite generosity. Declining to look for evidence to the contrary, we just knew it was there. We pumped aquifers, diverted rivers, trusting the, two, the twin lucky stars of unrestrained human expansion and endless supply. Now water tables plummet in countries harboring half of the world's population. Rather grandly, we have overdrawn our accounts. On my desk, a glass of water has caught the afternoon light, and I'm still looking for wonders. Who owns this water? How can I call it mine when its fate is to run through rivers and living bodies, so many already and so many more to come? It is an ancient, dazzling relic, temporarily quarantined here in my glass, waiting to return to its kind, waiting to move a mountain. It is the gold standard of biological currency. And the good news is that we can conserve it in countless ways. Us also, unlike petroleum, water will always be with us. Our trust in Earth's infinite generosity was half right, as every raindrop will run to the ocean, and the ocean will rise into the firmament. And half wrong, because we are not important to water. It's the other way around. Our task is to work out reasonable ways to survive inside its boundaries. We'd be wise to fix our sights on some new stars. The gentle, the gentle nudge of evidence, the guidance of science, and a heart for protecting the commons. These are the tools to the new century. Taking a wide-eyed look at a watery planet is our way of knowing the stakes, the better to know our place. Here ends the reading. One day last week, the light outside went from sunshine yellow to pale white, and then it got dark, very dark, too dark for 2.30 in the afternoon. The wind picked up, the tops of the trees started to rustle, tall pine trunks started to sway, 
and I knew that we were in for another summer afternoon shower. So I ran outside to place a mason jar on my back porch. I wanted to collect some of the cool, fresh rain that was pouring from the sky. Rain. It's hard to believe that today's rain is the same water that dinosaurs once guzzled, but it is. The amount of moisture on the earth has not changed. The water that dinosaurs drank millions of years ago is the same water that falls as rain today. Will there be enough fresh water for our more crowded world? That depends on one thing, of course, human behavior. Well, I was reminded of this when I joined my neighbor Jim for an early morning walk in our neighborhood nature preserve, which is located just a few blocks away from our house. Jim had been on a walk there the day before, and there's a creek that runs through the middle of the nature preserve. And Jim, my neighbor, well, he noticed thick red mud in the creek. It was possibly a runoff from a nearby home renovation, but he wasn't sure, and so he asked me to explore the creek with him. So Jim and I, we set out for the nature preserve and the creek with our dogs. We had had another one of those torrential summer downpours the day before, so the dirt trails were slick that morning. Well, of course, the minute my dog Miles figured out that we were heading to the nature preserve for a W-A-L-K, we spell that word in our house, he pulled me forward and we lunged toward the entrance of the woods and down the trail's steep descent to the creek valley behind Jim and his well-behaved dogs, Josie and Murphy. Mm-hmm. Well, we let the dogs off their leashes so that we wouldn't get dragged through the mud, and we made our way down to the water. And the first thing that I noticed were that the rocks in the creek were completely covered with Georgia red clay. And the second thing I noticed were the dead fish. Small carp were lying along the water's edge, their white bellies turned up to the sun. And it was startling to see them scattered along the rocks. What besides dirt had gotten into the water, I wondered. Well, we continued our walk with the dogs down the creek to a section known as the beach. There's a sandy shore, and the water is deep enough for the dogs to swim in it. Well, Miles took full advantage of that, and before I knew it, he ran down a dirt embankment, and he cannonballed into the water below. And I saw him swim by debris that was caught in the low tree branches that dipped into the water, mostly plastic jugs, right, and plastic grocery bags. The red mud had also made its way into this part of the creek, and I wondered about the quality of the water. What had happened? Was the water safe for miles? Was it safe for any of us? Well, there is a bright spot to this story. After Jim and I came back from the creek, I sent several emails to a few folks. I sent one to the city of Atlanta, and I sent one to the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper to report the problem we had seen. 
And my neighbor Jim, he followed up with another email that had a map attached showing the exact location of the section of the creek that had the sediment and the fish kill. And to my surprise, the city called me back in less than an hour. And the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper, which is a local water advocacy organization, well, they dispatched an investigator that afternoon, and they found the source of the dirt runoff. Well, they said that they would test the creek water right away for bacteria and toxins, and the city also planned to send a crew. Well, of course, I hated that the creek had gotten polluted, but I knew that I would have felt worse if I hadn't tried to do something about it. And I was inspired. I was inspired to see that others were eager to help out our creek. And as Barbara Kingsolver noted in this morning's reading, while we often take Mother Nature for granted, or Mother Water for granted, humans understand that in our bones, she is boss. And so, as we gather back together at the beginning of a new program year, as we acknowledge once again water's role in our lives and in the lives of all living things, let's take this morning to appreciate this vital natural resource. And let's act in the days ahead as if we truly treasure it. Clean, fresh water is not in abundance. Less than 3% of our planet's water is fresh water. And most of that is inaccessible. It's still locked in frozen ice caps and glaciers. So let's not, in the words of Barbara Kingsolver, be too slow, too slow to give up on the myth of Earth's infinite generosity. Let's see where we might use less of this precious resource and where we might partner with others to advocate for its protection. The water we drink today is the same water that quenched the thirst of dinosaurs that roamed our planet. That is an incredible thought. It invites me, and perhaps it invites you, to ponder Barbara Kingsolver's question, who owns this water? How can I call it mine when its fate is to run through rivers and living bodies, so many already and so many more to come? It is an ancient, dazzling relic, she writes, temporarily quarantined here in my glass, the glass on her desk, waiting to return to its kind, waiting to move a mountain. It is the gold standard of biological currency. And the good news is, the good news is that we can conserve it in countless ways. So as we go from here, let us begin our year of spiritual growth and exploration by cherishing the water of life and all the beautiful life made possible by its presence. May it be so. Amen.